coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. You know, I've been involved in politics for a long time. Good men are usually destroyed by one of three things, sex, money, or power. Yeah, that, you nailed it with that. Uh, you, you don't want power to have you. Uh, so really, I think the objective is to stay humble and grounded. I, I know your house majority whip, so why don't you explain to our audience what a whip does? Did they give you actual whip? Yeah, they gave me a whip and I've never used it. Oh, John, okay. they're gonna they're gonna kick you out of the uh, Republican club, man. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you saying thank you for the opportunity to serve you and serve your people. We thank you for leadership, and we pray for our leaders. The Holy Scriptures teaches us that we must pray for our leaders and God, please continue to bless this country that we love, this country that we call America. And we love America, God, and we love his people. Are we perfect? No. But we thank you that we wouldn't want to live in any other country than the United States of America, God. As we see what's going on in Ukraine, and we pray for the people of Ukraine, God, and just let your will be done. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift up our guest today, John Hardister. We we ask that you have your hand on his uh, his political campaign, his political uh, career, but just on his life in general and his families. We uh, we lift him up as he goes through and represents a tremendous amount of people in the state of North Carolina. We ask that uh, you give him discernment and judgment and wisdom. Uh, Lord, I. I lift up my brother Odell and Bev and his family, uh, keep them safe as he travels to Charleston every other week to take care of his elderly mother. I lift up my family and keep them safe as they're scattered around a couple states. Uh, Lord, thank you for your blessings on this podcast. It's, uh, it's amazing uh, as we walked through the door that you opened, how uh, things that we could never dream of you're making happen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Bill, I'm still thinking about, I'm still buzzing about this past weekend when we went to go see the Broadway play Hamilton. Mm -hmm. uh, for our listening audience who may have not heard of it, it's a play about Alexander Hamilton's life, one of the founding fathers, and just how all that thing went down. It was just amazing. I enjoyed having dinner with you and Dory, and of course, my lovely bride, Beverly. 
And then from dinner, we went over to the Tanger Center and we just thank all the leadership. Uh, that's just amazing crown jewel for the city of Greensboro in the region. So I just had a ball and we talked about it and I learned about history and, you know, it was just great. It was great. How was it for you, my friend? Well, I, I enjoyed being with you and Bev. It's always fun doing that. And uh, the, the, uh, the, the meal was wonderful. We had a nice meal. And by the way, you bought, had I known that I'd have gotten a bigger steak. <laughs> yes, I did pick up the tab, my friend, but it's all good. It's it was all great. I'm like, holy cow. And, uh, but it, that was fun. And then, uh, and we, you know, I, the, the play is phenomenal. I mean, it, the big thing is you got to be in the room. Uh, and it was talking about, you know, decision-making, you got to be in the room to be part of the decision-making and be active in that room. Uh, you know, I, I reflect on, uh, a couple of things, you know, it's from my stand, it's humorous. The history is phenomenal. I didn't know that much about Hamilton and some of the roles he played uh, and how significant they were in our financial organization. I mean, he basically designed our financial system. Uh, Treasury. Yeah. Back in 1776. I mean, in 1780. And I'm like, holy cow, I had no idea. And he also didn't get along with his peers that well. They, uh, they were jealous of him and he was, he was annoyed with them. So I, nothing's changed, I guess, uh, in a couple hundred years. Uh, but, you know, the other thing that I reflect on looking at it, uh, it's done by rap. And I'm not a big rap guy, but you could follow along. It was it was good and it was entertaining. But uh, about 90 percent of the actors were black. And black I don't remember black and brown. Yeah, I don't remember that in any pictures that I saw or drawings I saw of the founding fathers. I don't know if there was a black person in there. Bill, when you say rap, we say hip hop. And the unique thing about the play Hamilton is that it took a urban spin on it for the founding fathers to talk and it's through song. And it's just amazing when you start looking at the history and what happened and what happened behind closed doors. You know, I've been involved in politics for a long time and I've been in many rooms. And one of the theme songs there is that you have to be in the room when it happened. And I think back that early this week, as you all knew, know, is that the president, the ex former president of the United States, President Trump came to our lovely state and had some meetings. And it was interesting. I have a good friend of mine that once people went in the room, they came out of the room with different endorsements, you know, so so to your point, things still happen. And tomorrow we will have the president of the United States, President Biden, come to our fine state. And I'm sure a lot of things going to happen in the room. So the thing about politics, a lot of deals get brokered in the room because the play talks about Hamilton not supporting uh, Jefferson, if I'm not Correct. Yeah, was you're Jefferson right. You're right. Yeah. Was important. Then after the after he went in the room, he made a deal. Jefferson was allowed to give him the votes to get his plan, you know, the financial package passed, and he would support Jefferson. So a lot of things happened in the room. Bill, you've been in those rooms. I've been in those rooms. Our guest today has been in those rooms. And how do you? The question is, how do you go in those rooms and come back out the same? because a lot is offered in the room. I often say that good men are usually destroyed by one of three things, sex, money, or power. Sex, ah, we could deal with that. Money, ah, you could deal with that. But that power, power is so 
it's like a drug, man. If you can't understand and handle power as a leader, then power will destroy you. So I enjoyed it, Bill, because a lot of deals get made in the room. Yep. Yeah. You, you know, you, you're talking uh, specifically uh, about Mark Walker. Uh, Mark had some people lined up to endorse him and they went in a room and came back out and they endorsed the other candidate. And uh, it, that's always disheartening. You kind of want to know what happened. You know, did I do something wrong? Uh, but in business, it's the same thing. You're working on a deal and then your competitor gets it and you thought you should have had it. And you go, what happened? What did I do wrong? You know, as a matter of fact, yesterday I was teaching for two days uh, for P&G and uh, the, the, the company that hired us was GTCC and they do it through a government grant. Uh, uh, John probably knows about it. It's customized industrial training, but we never get any business out of GTCC. We're, we're a local company. Uh, we do with the other 58 community college. We get a lot of business. So I asked the guy one time, I said, you know, you know, I, I, no offense. I'm just more curious. Did we do something wrong? And if we did something wrong, I want to fix it. And he said, no, he said, uh, the guy, your competitor is my best friend. <laughs> so guess what? <laughs> I don't get business and, and I'm okay with that. I got plenty of business, but they, here's the interesting thing. They called me and they were in a pickle. Uh, they couldn't find an instructor for Procter and Gamble and they had this big deal and Procter and Gamble is a big deal in our town. And, uh, so I said, would you, would you step in quickly and take and train for four weeks for us, these people? And I said, yeah, absolutely. We'll step in. He says, well, there's a couple, there's a little hair on this dog. And I said, what is it? And he said, one, we're going to pay you 50% of what you normally get. Wow. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, this, the guy who's the best friend doesn't think that it's worth it to pay the full amount because it's simple stuff to teach like Excel and Microsoft. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll make that work. We'll figure it out. I'll give you a favor, help you out. Uh, and he said, the other thing is all the books and materials you got are being made by the, your competitor and you, and you can't take them, but you got to, you got to use them. So deals are made. And my, my thing was, let's take the high road on this. Let's service the customer. Let's do the right thing. And if we don't get any other business, fine. If we, if we break even, I'm fine with it, but I know my company and me did the right thing for the state of North Carolina and Procter and Gamble. And I can walk away with my head high. Well, you know, Bill, it's interesting that we introduced the guests is my philosophy is this, and I, I do a lot of deal making as long as it's not illegal, unethical or immoral, then I could sit in the room. Now, what our audience needs to understand is that the state of North Carolina has a Senate race that's coming up. That is probably going to be one of the most expensive and highly contested Senate races in the country. So the outcome of the Senate race in North Carolina will affect the whole country. So that's why we're talking about it. But our, our guest today is someone who I admired, Bill. Um, he's just I've seen him in rooms behind closed doors. And I can say this young man steps out with his integrity. And he's the majority whip. So, you know, he has a, a tough job and he'll explain that. Bill, do you mind introducing our guest, please? I would love to. John Hardister has become a good friend of our family. Uh, we love John. We support him. Uh, the uh, I think his district doesn't cover us anymore, but that doesn't matter. We support him. I haven't put signs in our front yard. And we met him because he, did, he lived nearby us and he came in, knocked on the door and he said, can I put a sign in your front yard? 
And, uh, and so I had heard of John and once we got to know each other, the guy is the real deal. We need more people like John. Let me give you his background. John was born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina as the only child of Wayne and Carol, Carolyn Hardister. He's a graduate of Grimsley high school, Greensboro college, where he obtained a BA in political science. After college, he went to work as vice president of marketing for first Carolina mortgage, a small business that is owned and operated by his family. His family business, just like any other, was severely impacted by the Great Recession. The experiences along with his concern for the state's future is primarily what inspired John to run for office. And folks, let me tell you, his position pay-wise, he could probably make more money working at McDonald's for the amount of hours he puts in. Uh, so he's it's a passion. Uh, since taking office, John has proven to be one of the most effective leaders in the General Assembly. He has passed numerous bills, chaired committees, received awards. His colleagues elected him to serve as the majority whip, which is one of the top leadership positions in the General Assembly. In spare time, John enjoys uh, family, working out, reading, playing golf, playing guitar. And I'm going to add one more, John, you need to put on your, your bio, hanging out with Bill and Odell. There you go. <laughs> Welcome, John, to the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you both for having me. It's great to be on. Well, John, I got a question for you. The uh, how long have you been in political office? Uh, for for ten years, I probably need to add that to my my bio. I was elected in, in two thousand twelve, and Bill, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, when I first got elected, uh, it's hard to believe that was ten years ago. Uh, I did go door to door, and as I recall, your your wife was cutting the grass that day. <laughs> That's right. That's she was. <laughs> she was. <laughs> I didn't actually make it to the door. I, I, I walked down your driveway and, and, you know, she was cutting the grass. We had a great conversation and got the yard sign up. Uh, so that, that was great. And we've of course became friends. And then uh, Odell, I've enjoyed getting to know you as well. And congrats to you both on your, your podcast. I've, I'm hearing a lot of good things and I see the poster in the background says the fastest growing in triad. That's, that's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, I can remember as we got to know each other, uh, you supported us when we did the uh, Senate Bill 400 uh, to allow Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts to have access to our school system to recruit. And I appreciate that. that because of your help, it passed. And this is unbelievable in the House. A hundred votes. Yes. Zero votes. No, because of your work. And thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a, a team effort, and uh, you all did a great job advocating for that bill, and certainly glad that we got that passed. And I think the the Boy Scouts are still having some issues with with access to certain school districts, so we're we're going back take another look at that. Um, I think COVID may have played a role in, in that, and how uh, school districts are are keeping some of the civic organizations out. But um, that's something that we're you know, taking a look at. Well, thank you very much. But you're absolutely right. There was a few that uh, uh, didn't abide by the law, so to speak. And uh, but that uh, that's not the first time that's happened to you, I'm sure. Yeah, that can that can happen from time to time. A lot of times you have to go back and, and clarify uh, statutes and, and things like that. And uh, I mean, you know, Odell was touching on it earlier, all the the uh, conversations that have that happened behind closed doors. Um, and that's that's how deals get made. But what I want your audience to know is that at the state level, and I'm sure it's probably similar at the federal level as well, a lot of the work that we do is, is bipartisan. It's nonpartisan. Um, a lot of the bills, like you just mentioned, uh, pass unanimously or close to it. 
It's just that we don't hear too much about that. Uh, the media talks about the one or two out of 10 issues where we don't agree, which I guess kind of makes sense because those are the contentious issues. But I think the net result is a lot of people just think we're fighting all the time and it's, it's not like that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the other thing that kind of bugs me is you get victimized like a being a bad guy because you did something or you made a decision or you voted on something. And I was at a fundraiser last night and uh, we have someone mutually, I'm not going to you give the name, but he very, very aggressive on his viewpoints. And, uh, and I, I, I challenged him on a couple things and to the point my wife was grabbing by the hand said, come on, you need to stop. <laughs> but because, <laughs> because I, I disagreed with them and, uh, and uh, it, it's uh, it, you know, he, he, when you have the, uh, piece of wood in your eye yeah you got to take care of that and and he's got a piece of wood in his eye and uh so politics gets hot no doubt about it it's probably out of all the topics that you know uh sex drug and rock and roll politics gets next religion you know all that stuff but politics is hot odell you want to jump in john they're gonna they're gonna kick you out of the uh, republican club man because you are a rising star in the Republican Party. You're the majority whip, but you're supporting stuff like $2 million to the International Civil Rights Center and Museum. Uh, you're coming around, hanging around these Democrats and these black folks, and you're hanging out with the good looking black guy, Odell. What are you doing, man? What are you doing, John? What are you doing? <laughs> well, well, first of all, Odell, I'm, I'm being myself, uh, being who I, I really am and standing for what I believe. But look, I. The Republican Party has a long history of supporting civil rights, and, I, and I, the Civil Rights Museum has a, a golden opportunity to expand its footprint. Uh, it could gain a UNESCO designation, uh, which is promulgated by the United Nations. And if that were to happen, um, that would just be a game changer, I think, um, not just for the Civil Rights Museum, but for, for Greensboro as well. Uh, you know, Zach Matheny with Downtown Greensboro uh, supports it. And and I'm seeing the, the community come together for the most part around the, the Civil Rights Museum and, and starting to recognize that this is a very uh, a critical uh, project because it, it, we're preserving a, a major uh, event that occurred in United States history right here in, in the city of Greensboro at the Woolworth lunch counter. And, uh, you know, what that represents and at a time when politics is so divisive. This is something I think we should all agree on and, and embrace is the the precept of human dignity and, and treating people the same, regardless of their economic status or the color of their skin. And uh, I mean, if this were to happen, the Civil Rights Museum would see so many more uh, tourists come here, uh, not just from across the state of North Carolina, but from across the country and from around the world too. And, uh, you know, it would play off, I think, on a lot of the other growth that's happening downtown, like at the ballpark, the um, of course, the, the Tanger Performing Arts Center, um, all these things that are happening to have that cultural enrichment, uh, you know, I think would be phenomenal. So I think it's a sound investment for the uh, the taxpayers. But I think my status in the Republican Party is safe. <laughs> OK, you know, it's interesting when you say that, because it makes all the sense in the world. And I want to commend you on taking a stand because to Bill's point and what we talked about earlier, a lot gets done in the room behind closed doors. But you openly and honestly came out and said, I'm for this. And so I'm sure you may have gotten some heartburn because this is the reason why. The lunch counter was a leader in integrating 
all kinds of restaurants. The restaurants that Bill and myself and our two gorgeous brides sat in last week, if it wasn't for the lunch counter sit-ins and so many other sacrifices, we couldn't have done that. So it's a lot of people who are still alive who remember black only, white only lunch counters and the separation. So one side won and one side lost. And a lot of times people are like, well, we don't look at it that way, but people still have strong feelings. So thank you for supporting that initiative because I too believe that that's the type of leadership and that's why I support you. Bill? Well, you know, it's interesting as John was talking about the Civil Rights Museum, let, let's tell our listeners what that is. Uh, yes. John told a little bit, but uh, I think it was 1964 or 1960, uh, they had a lunch counter at the Woolworth downtown. And it was integrated. 1960, Bill. 1960. Okay, a long time ago. And uh, uh, we have a university called uh, North Carolina A&T. It was primarily a black university. And four black boys, freshmen, walked from the university from their dorm. And this is amazing because they went and sat at that all-white counter and ordered coffee. And what they were going to do is do their homework. And that was a scandal. They ended up closing the whole place down. The police were called. Protesters showed up. I mean, it became it was the first sit in of that type in America and started sit ins at lunch counters around the country. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's there was a black man behind the counter that was clearing the tables and he, he still works at the Civil Rights Museum. And they interviewed him and they asked him, what did you think when he said, I'm thinking, Lordy, 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 this isn't going to be good. But he said, as I was clearing the table, there was an old white lady right next to him. And I don't know if you heard the story, John, but uh, the, the one of the young men, black men, leaned over to the white lady and said, I'm sorry if we're causing a problem. All we want to do is have a cup of coffee and do our homework. And she leaned back and said, it's about time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, holy cow. So that's that's the setting that we're talking about, folks. And, you know, in Greensboro, we have other ones. We have uh, the uh, the Underground Railroad tree. It was the northernmost point for the Underground Railroad it was at the college. You went to which college did you go to? Greensboro College? Greensboro College, just yeah. down the road from the Civil Rights Museum. Yeah, right down the road. And uh, but this this one's over at Guilford College, the, where the Quakers were. And then we also have Magnolia House, which was in the Green Book. Now, folks, for the Green Book, that when blacks traveled in America, they couldn't stay at regular hotels. It was white and black. They couldn't they couldn't stop at certain gas stations. So they had to got this green book that would say, here's our safe places for black people to go. And because they weren't sure if they're going to be able to get food or not, they made little box lunches and they would have fried chicken or bologna sandwich, whatever it was. So if you go to Magnolia house, it just got remodeled as an Airbnb. Louis Armstrong stayed there. Jackie Robinson stayed there because they couldn't stay in white hotels. And uh, it's an amazing place to go folks. If you can get to the Magnolia, it's just been remodeled and it's a restaurant too. Yeah, we, we have trailblazers here in, in the city of Greensboro. Uh, if you if you think back to that time frame and the, all the segregation in the South, I mean, there was a lot of efforts going on across the country during that time to promulgate uh, desegregation. But uh, there's no question that what happened here played a critical role in that. And and I think expedited the process. 
Yep. Yes. I agree. And you know, it's interesting. As a child, I remember traveling with my grandparents from Greenville, South Carolina, moving to Charleston, South Carolina, and they would pack a lunch in those days. And you know, I've always been a fan of food, so I was happy <laughs> they would pack, uh, um, you know, potato salad, uh, chicken, of course. Uh, and all kinds of things. And we would stop at the rest area and have like a picnic. Now, at the time, I had no idea that people who look like me couldn't stop in certain restaurants. They protected us from that. And it's interesting how people protect, um, try to protect the kids from the ugliness of society. And, you know, thinking about protecting an ugliest society, Bill, this young man did something very, very important as it relates to the Jewish community. Can you share with the audience what he did and why, and then he can say why he did it. Well, I tell you what, we're going to have uh, Victoria Milstein on uh, the podcast. She was the artist that developed what John, I'm going to let John explain it because he did a phenomenal thing to help. Uh, yes, he did. Get that, yes, he get did. That kickstarted because with what he did raised up enough funds to get this done. So John, you want to explain it? Yeah, I'm happy to. So uh, Victoria Milstein is a local artist, and uh, she came up with this idea to create a monument uh, that would feature uh, women from the Holocaust. Uh, and it's it's a very harrowing scene. Uh, there is a photo uh, that was taken back during uh, Second World War of um, these women and a young girl who uh, you know candidly were uh, preparing to face their death. And um, because they're being persecuted by the Nazis. And there's this photograph that got taken and, uh, you know, it's, it's striking. And so she came up with the idea, why don't we take that photo and make a monument and place that monument in the city of Greensboro and use it for educational purposes. So people will not forget, you know, what happened and, and learn from it. And so uh, she started a foundation and has raised money, private money, as well as, uh, uh, public money from state of North Carolina. And that's where we come into play. Uh, she reached out to me. I thought it was a great idea. Um, I discussed it with my colleagues in General Assembly. And so we appropriated $250,000 to the project because we thought it was educational. And yeah, we thought it'd be a good investment to have that uh, for the state to provide funding to support that project. And now it's moving forward. It'll be located in LaBauer Park, in Greensboro, and I'm I'm excited about it because it you know, it tells a you know very uh, important story that, that we all have to remember what happened, especially now when you see you know what's happening, for example, in Ukraine and all the the persecutions happening there. Uh, I think war crimes are happening there. Um, if you think back to the Second World War, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, there's right. there, there's living survivors of the Holocaust, and we need to remember that so it doesn't happen again. Amen. Well said. And thank you for uh, making the effort and supporting that. Um, I can't wait to go see it. It's uh, supposedly bigger than lifestyle. She's got in her studio some uh, clay person, a clay of it, uh, and then they're going to take it and get it bronzed. Right. Yeah, it's it's a very impressive project. I've, I've been to her studio and seen it, and um, she's, she's very uh, dedicated to the cause. And I'm glad you're having her on your show. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited there. Ron and uh, I'll tell you how I met them. Uh, we did an interfaith trip with the, the city. You know, have you been on that interfaith trip to Israel? Yes, I've been to Israel. Yes, yeah, okay. amazing. Isn't it amazing? So we were there and uh, it was the Jewish Federation and the um, 
community foundation, a few other organizations, about 30 couples went. So you had to have a bus buddy. You know, we got on a bus, find your buddy. And Ron Milstein was mine. I had never met him before. And uh, we became best bus buddies. And now we're best friends. We hang <laughs> out. Uh, we're going to be down at their beach house in a couple of weeks, Dory and I. And we're going to call in, Odell, you don't know this yet. We're going to call in from there, Zoom, and do the podcast from the beach. So uh, I'll make Good. sure the beach is in the back background making you jealous. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, thank you so much for making me jealous. You know, one of the things, John, that I've always thought about over the years is how did Nazi Germany start? How did Hitler do what he did? Because it was just in books for me. Now, looking at Ukraine and everything's going on with Putin and Russia, and you see, I saw something on TV yesterday that just almost brought tears to my eyes. It was an 80-something-year-old woman who said that she got raped by the soldiers in Ukraine. It was by the Russian soldiers. And she said, she looked at him and said, I'm old enough to be your mother. Why would you do this to me? And he said, just shut up. And she said later on in an interview, and don't know if you all saw it, is that I wish he would have killed me versus raping me. And, and see, that's the stuff. When we go to Israel or we go to the museum in Charleston and see what happened with the slaves and how the women got taken advantage of rape, or you go and hear the stories, what happened in World War II, and now you're hearing the stories of what's happening now, it's almost like the worst in human behavior just keeps showing up from time to time. So now I have a better idea, John, on how uh, Hitler came to power. So what's yeah. your thoughts? You, you, you are going to be one of these guys who's just going to rise in power. The last time I checked, you were, I think you were looking at the possibility of running for Congress down the road, but I don't want to put any words in your mouth, my friend. So help us understand how power can take over a situation and all the great things that you do to make sure that power, because you have a lot of power in the state, doesn't have you. Because sometimes we can have power and sometimes power have us. Yeah, that, you nailed it with that. Uh, you, you don't want power to have you. Uh, so, really, I think the objective is to stay humble and grounded, and that's that's honestly what it comes down to. You've you've got to stay humble. Uh, you have to look at your job as a privilege, as an honor, and you got to stay in touch with the people. Um, the the last thing you want to have happen as elected official is live in a bubble. Do you know what I mean? Like you you go to Raleigh, you go to Washington D.C., you just kind of live in a bubble. With the with the lobbyist and with your colleagues, and you know it's not it's not like that. That that that's not reflective of the real world. You know you've you've got to spend time at home. You've got to. I mean, you all remember Howard Coble? I've got his poster back oh, here. Oh man, uh, that he's a prince. And he's really he's the gold standard, I think, for a public servant. I mean, because he came home a lot. Uh, he served for thirty years, which is a long time, and probably most politicians shouldn't serve for that long, but. But he did it right, you know, and, and that he was my role model. You know, if I can be half of what he was as a public servant, I feel like I'm doing OK. And it's, it's because he came home. He's accessible. Uh, he would talk to the people. He would go out to eat at the restaurants. Uh, he didn't think he's better than anybody um, that. And that's the key is to be in it for the right reason and you know try to make the, the right decisions. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's all you can do is just be yourself, be authentic and. Like I said, you, you've got to be humble. You can't let the power uh, get to you because if it does, it's it's not good for you and it's not good for the people you represent. Amen. You know, you mentioned Howard Coble and uh, 
he being a scout, he would go to all the Eagle scout events. And I went to a lot of them and we'd bump into each other. And, uh, I'd say, Howard, do you want to go? Cause we'd always, he'd speak or I, both of us would speak. And I said, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? <laughs> he says, uh, he says, well, I've got four more of these today. How many you got? And I said, I only got two. <laughs> he says, then let me go first. <laughs> so, cause he had to get to another one. And John, I met you one time and I mentioned that. And now you go to a tremendous amount of Eagle events and give away the flag and your coin, right? Your I do. Yeah. And I, so I used to work with Howard Coble back uh, as an intern um, okay. in 2000, let's see, 2006, uh, when I was a senior in college, I had the opportunity to work for Howard Coble as an intern. I worked his Greensboro office and just a phenomenal experience. In fact, that's what inspired me to, to run for office. Uh, but I did do a little bit of work uh, on the campaign trail with him and actually accompanied him to a couple of the Eagle Scout uh, ceremonies. And it, it really kind of resonated with me because yeah, I was not a Boy Scout, um, but the, what they advocate for, like character and integrity and hard work and dedication really resonated. And the amount of work they got to put into attaining the rank of Eagle is tremendous. You know, it takes years of, of dedication. And no, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, I mean, character development, integrity, hard work, th those are critical elements that we all need. And, and that's what the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts, too, stand for. And so, uh, so yeah, I've definitely tried to, uh, to, to get involved and, you know, attend those ceremonies when I can. And I, I know both of you have been involved and, uh, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's passion is both of us. The, uh, yeah, you know, that for Eagle Scout, uh, 343 different steps you have to go through over a period of years to get that done. And, you know, it's, it's perseverance, the perseverance to stay to it and not get disappointed and keep at it. It's a good thing. I, I want to thank you for what you've done with scouting and that uh, Senate bill 400. Thank you. Yeah. You know, sure. John, how do you deal with the, what I call the traps? Here you are, you're a single man, correct? I, I am. Last time I checked. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just make I've sure. never been married. <laughs> okay. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. How do you deal with staying away from the traps of sex, money and power in someone in a powerful position like yours? How do you stay away from those traps? It's actually not that hard. You just you just don't go down that road. You're just aware of it. You know, um, I'll never forget one time I was uh, I was at the beach. I believe this was spring break all the way back when I was in high school. This is a long time ago. And uh, I was walking down the street. This is at Myrtle Beach. And I ran into an older gentleman who was probably at the time. I'm probably like 18. And he, this guy's probably like 40 something. And uh, he had a few drinks, um, but I've got to say he was speaking truth because it resonated with me. What he told me was I just happened to run into him. We started talking and he told me that the, he'd been through some trouble in his life. And he said, this is really what can mess up a person, derail a person. Uh, he mentioned uh, sex, money, uh, power, but he also threw in drugs and alcohol, you know, mm -hmm. and those are the landmines that you've, you've got to avoid. And that really just stuck with me. I'll never forget that. I'm sure, I'm sure you and your audience, you've had a moment where, you know, you spoke to somebody or they spoke to you and they said something just really stuck with you. So I've been aware of that all throughout my life. And you know what? It's and Bill said this before. It's not just in politics, it's in business, you know, because this guy I was talking to was a businessman. And I think he'd been through a divorce and some bad things happened to him. But 
you know, that really stuck with me. So you just got to be self-aware and you have to understand there's some people that might try to take advantage of you. And, you know, I, I, I'm a trusting person, but you also have to kind of have a little bit of a guard up because there's some people that might, that might turn your back on you. And um, you've probably had some guests on your shows recently who've talked about that. And, you know, you just, you got to be self-aware. Uh, like I said before, you got to be humble, uh, try to do the right thing, but be aware of those landmines and where they are. And I think if you do that, you'll, you'll be okay. And then sometimes you might be disappointed with maybe somebody turns their back on you or something like that. But, you know, my dad always told me that you can deal with a person if you know what you're dealing with. And I think the vast majority of people mean well, like they're going to, they're going to try to do the right thing, but there's some people out there that, um, you know, for whatever reason, they might do something that you don't appreciate, or they might say like, Hey, Odell, I'm going to support you. Then they don't, you know, or, you know, they might say to a candidate for public office, um, you had Mark Walker on your show. They might say, Hey, I'm all for you. The next thing, you know, a week or two later, they're on the other side. So, you know, you just got to rise above it. You got to rise above the adversity, but to get to your question, like I said, I think you got to be humble and you have to know what those pitfalls are and where those landmines are and stay away from it. Yeah. Well, well said. I like to play. Awesome. Exactly. And Bill's going to close you out, but let me ask a question for you, Bill, if it's okay. Like to play Hamilton in the room, you know, want to be in the room when it happened, but it was another theme song in the play it said, I want to take my shot. So we talk, we hear a lot about draining the swamp on both sides. So here you are, you're in the room, you're in the swamp. I don't want to call the lobbyists the alligators in the swamp because the lobbyists are doing their job. I respect lobbyists. How do you deal with the lobbyists though, who, and and they're straight up, they're usually pretty, hey, I can support your campaign if you support this. And nothing's wrong with that. So how do you deal with the lobbyists though? Well, I mean, you know, lobbyists are doing their job, like you said, and I can count on one hand the amount of truly bad experiences I have with lobbyists because most of them represent a business, an organization or a trade association. Or I'll just give you an example. So uh, the Realtors Association, you know, they represent thousands of realtors across state of North Carolina who sell real estate and they're they're purple. They're not red or, or blue. You know, they just advocate for laws and things that they think will effectuate the sale of real estate. Um, so then you have all these different trade associations, but then there's some private companies that have, you know, a lobbyist or something like that. But a good lobbyist, what they're going to do is inform you because a, a legislator like me, you know, we're not a, an expert in, you know, every field, you know, it's been said that our knowledge has to be a mile wide, but only an inch deep because you can't be an expert in everything. Now, a good lobbyist, what they're going to do is they're going to talk, they'll talk to you and they'll say, you know, Representative Hardister, this is how this bill will affect our industry, which is why we support it. But then the next group will come in and say, this is why we oppose it. And then you make up your mind, you know, as a legislator, you got your homework, uh, you got to listen to what the lobbyists are saying to you. And then, you you know, you're not going to agree with everybody. You know, and so they do kind of get a bad rap at times, but, um, you know, the system works, I think, fairly well. Uh, You know, we have a bicameral legislature or House and Senate. And in North Carolina, we have 170 uh, members between the House and Senate. There's 120 in the House, 50 in the Senate. So you got a lot of different viewpoints there, you know, and it's not just the Republicans and Democrats. I mean, you've got uh, representatives and senators from parts of the state that are urban or rural, 
you know, that have different, like, for example, broadband access has become a huge issue. It's there's some lack in Guilford County, which is the third largest county in the state. But you get out into these rural areas and there's, there's not a whole lot of broadband access. So that's not a Republican or Democrat problem. You know, but then, yeah, you've got the lobbies that come in and they, you know, provide us with with information. And uh, but but it's really not what the public thinks. It's it's not like they're coming in trying to, like, underhandedly persuade you to vote a certain way. It's not m- most of the time. It's not like that. Wow. So it's not like it is on TV, Bill. Well, hey, hey, it's not like it's not like House of Cards. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, John, uh, I I know your House Majority Whip, and you have served on other committees. So why don't you explain to our audience what a whip does? Did they give you actual whip? Yeah, they gave me a whip, and I've never used it. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Um, and I have a theme song, "Whip It Good." You've probably heard that. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love song it. From back in the 1980s, that was a big hit. But uh, yeah, so actually, when I got elected whip, they they did somebody gave me a whip as a joke. Um, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. But, <laughs> oh my goodness. The, the the job description's pretty simple. Basically, we we count votes, uh, we help with attendance, and then we help build consensus. So counting votes is pretty simple. If we're voting on something important like the state budget, I've got to go count the votes, see if we have enough to to pass the bill. Uh, you know, or if we're trying to override a, a veto that requires a, a supermajority vote, I've got to go count the votes on that. And then I report back to the speaker. Here's the vote count. Um, attendance, that's pretty straightforward. The speaker will put out the schedule and then we got to make sure we have enough members to come in to vote in committee or on the House floor. Um, but then as far as building a uh, consensus, that's where the job kind of strays from what a lot of people think. You know, a lot of people have this perception of the whip is in there, like twisting arms, telling people uh, how to vote. It's, it's not done like that. Uh, members are going to vote their conscience and they're going to vote their district. So when we have a bill coming up and let's just say that uh, we don't quite have enough votes to pass it, there might be like 10 or 15 votes that are uh, no and we need to get them to yes. Well, pretty much what we do is we find out what what is your issue with the bill and we talk about that and identify it and then go coordinate with the bill sponsor to try to work that out. And a lot of times it involves amending the bill. It might involve repealing something out of the bill or adding something to it, you know, to kind of get that consensus where you can get it, you know, across the finish line. So that's that's what the whip does. Um, Again, it's not it's not House of Cards. I promise it's nothing like that. That's good. And you serve on other committees. What are those committees? Yeah, I serve on several. So I, I chair the um, the House Universities Committee, and we help oversee the the higher education system. Um, but also, I'm a member. I'm a member of the Appropriations Committee. I serve on the the Banking Committee on ABC. Uh, so I, I stay pretty busy as far as uh, committee assignments are concerned. And um, but look, I, I just got to say this, if you don't mind, I'm I'm. I'm really excited about the, the the future of North Carolina with all the jobs that are coming here. I'm sure you all have covered it and talked about it um, with with supersonic coming to uh, PTI to manufacture a supersonic jet, a Toyota manufacturing facility uh, that, that'll be at the Greensboro Randolph mega site. VinFast announced recently a $4 billion investment in Chatham County, uh, which is not too far from here. 
there's other businesses that are, that are coming in like Davidson County. I think it's called Nucor. They have a, it's a steel manufacturer. And I believe that's a $350 million investment. So thousands and thousands of jobs are coming in. And this is what we've, we've worked on, right? I mean, this has been the focus, I think, of the General Assembly. How do we get North Carolina competitive, not just within the United States, but globally, you know, to bring these companies in? Like VinFast is a global company. Um, they're a well-capitalized startup that'll make an electric vehicle that'll be in Chatham County, where we have a mega site there. So we have all these mega sites across the state that, that now are, are coming online, where we have jobs coming in. And here's the thing. It's like a domino effect. When you get uh, Supersonic and Toyota and VinFast, all these other ancillary companies are going to come in, you know, the supply companies. But then other large global manufacturers will say, hey, you know what? North Carolina looks like a pretty good place to, to do business. And, and I've got to say, um, you know, it probably won't surprise you to hear me say, I, I think that it's the work the legislature's done to lay the groundwork for that to happen. We've, we've cut taxes, reformed the tax code. We've streamlined our regulations. We've invested in workforce, um, not just K-12, but the community college system. Bill, you're talking about that before. We've got a phenomenal uh, community college system across the state. The UNC system is doing a great job focusing on core academics. We haven't had an increase in tuition in six years in North Carolina within the UNC system. So these investments, you know, in workforce development and uh, investments in transportation. We've got a sound transportation infrastructure here. It, it's it's now showing great success with all these jobs that are that are coming here. And I'm just I'm really excited about it. So I think the legislature deserves a credit for the work that we've done to try to lay the groundwork. But hey, look, I mean, it's been a bipartisan endeavor because like locally, uh, we've worked with the, the county commissioners, which have a Democratic majority. Whereas the, the, the General Assembly has a Republican majority, um, you know, the, the mayor Greensboro has been good to work with. And then the governor over the last uh, you know, couple of years don't agree on everything. But as far as economic, economic development, you know, we've really teamed up the General Assembly with the Republican majority and our Democratic governor. We've really you know, teamed up on economic development. So it's, it's exciting. No, nah, it's you well said. Well said. Bill, let me ask him a question real quick. John, you're not endorsing or are you endorsing? Or do you endorse, are you going to endorse anyone for the mayor of the city of Greensboro? No, I'm, I'm staying out of that. I really have not made many endorsements at all. I mean, first of all, I don't know what kind of weight my endorsement would carry. Probably not a lot, but uh, for the most part, I stay out of uh, primaries and and other people's races because I feel like, yeah, it, it should be up to the voters to decide, you know, who they want to elect. But, um, you know, certainly, uh, it'll be interesting to see, who comes out on top? It looks like a fairly competitive race in the 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 um, Greensboro City Council election. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But the big one um, is, you know, you, you mentioned before, Odell, the U.S. Senate race. It's this has been a highly competitive primary on the Republican side. And, you know, once that's done, this is going to be probably the most expensive U.S. Senate race in our state's history. It's uh, I'm, I'm afraid to predict how much money it's going to cost. It'll well, be the estimation lot. is about $80 million, and I'm sure you will endorse at the time when that come up. But this is the main question what people want to know. We, I've been in North Carolina long enough where we had tobacco, textiles, and furniture. You remember those days, Bill. So now, with tobacco going sideways, is legal marijuana, legalized marijuana, hemp, whatever we want to call it, 
is that going to be legal in the state of North Carolina? Because we have some parts of North Carolina who's experimenting with it. Will will marijuana? Well, I shouldn't say the, what's the what's the right term to use. I want to say usually come say, from the hood, huh? <laughs> we usually say cannabis. Okay, cannabis. Okay, cannabis. Okay, uh, I'm from the projects of South Carolina, so we say marijuana. But will cannabis be legal? in the state of North Carolina. Well, me and Bill be riding down the road and we look over there, Bill, and we like, look at those buds, just as pretty as it want to be in the state of North Carolina, sir. Yeah, so there is a bill in the state Senate that would legalize cannabis for medical purposes. Uh, has not come to the House yet, but what we're hearing is that when we go back into session a few weeks, the Senate may pass that bill, at which point the House will get to work on it. We've not had a leadership discussion about that bill yet, so I don't know... Um, you know, whether or not we're actually going to vote on it. Uh, personally, I support it. Uh, I think uh, cannabis should be legal for, for medical purposes. Uh, it's, it's been proven to have medical benefits. And, you know, we have other uh, drugs on the market like Oxycontin and Vicodin, which can be extremely dangerous. And there's times when it needs to be prescribed. There's some patients that need that. Um, but I, th I think there's a definite medical benefit for uh, cannabis. And so the, the bill would create that framework so that um, it can be grown legally. There be... Um, you know, permits that have to be obtained, um, you know, to cultivate it. And then it would be used very specifically for uh, your medical treatment. John, yeah. I love your leadership, man. I just want to let you know, you and I don't agree on everything because you don't think I'm the best looking black man you ever seen. So we don't agree on that, my friend, but I love your leadership and I love the way you will take a stance. A lot of people would waffle on that question I just asked. Bill, this is why this guy, I support John Hartson. I support him publicly known. He doesn't endorse anyone. My friend, I endorse you. Bill? Well, you know, I was yeah. listening to John uh, uh, talk about cannabis and, you know, one of the nice things is we've got a state that's legalized it all the way through Colorado. So I think before we do anything, analyze what impact all that has had on that state, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. And then uh, they, that helps you do a grounded a grounded uh, decision, so to speak, based on some right. facts that you have out there. Uh, John, we always ask our guests to give them the last word, and we always ask them, how do you find common ground? And, uh, and uh, you know, being in politics, uh, that, that's got to be, common ground's got to be uh, an interesting uh, concept. So it's- Yeah. Well, I, I think you're both living- proof of that. And so, like I said before, congratulations on your success and your show. Um, we, we, we need more common ground, more collaboration. And here's, here's what I'll say. It, you don't necessarily have to like be moderate, you know, like it, common ground doesn't mean that like liberals have to move to the center. Conservatives have to move to center. I think it means you just have to respect each other. That's all it comes down to. And there, there's not enough of that these days. Um, you know, you, you'll see an elected official or a politician will stand for something. And then other people will on the opposing side will attack that person's character or integrity. And that's not good. I mean, that that's kind of what's gotten us into where we are now with these echo chambers and social media and social media is good in a lot of ways because we can all stay connected. Uh, but sometimes decorum goes out the window. And the problem is when you start attacking the other person's character, integrity, or intentions, because then you, you get off on the wrong foot. It's, it's literally impossible to have some kind of like productive discussion. 
But if you respect the other side, you sit down and talk, say, okay, let's find something we do agree on. I mean, a good example is the state budget that we passed last year. We went two years basically without having a new state budget. And there was a bit of a standoff between the Republican General Assembly and the Democratic governor. And, you know, it it, kind of got contentious. But eventually we came to the table. We figured it out. And that's how politics is done. That's how it's supposed to be done. So, again, I think it just comes down to you don't question the the other person's, you know, integrity or their intentions, because, I mean, if you look at both political parties, and I'm not talking about the talking heads out there on Fox or CNN. I mean, like the real people that in our communities who are registered Republican or Democrat, um, most of them, vast majority, good people, good heart. They mean well. They just have different ideas on what the role of government should be. And we ought to be able to engage in those conversations, you know, in a way that's productive. Another thing that I think, and this is something I really believe, is that we've nationalized our politics too much. It's, it's, it's way too national. I mean, federal politics is important, but what binds us together is our community. Think about that. I mean, you've got your churches, you've got your schools, you've got your youth organizations, all these things where whether you're Republican or Democrat, you're going to agree. I mean, whether it's Guilford County, the triad, state of North Carolina, that's why I believe in local government, because there's more that binds us together locally. And the decisions made by your state local government usually have more of an impact than decisions made by Congress. But yet we've nationalized everything. You know, if you talk to your neighbor about who's your state rep or your city council member, there's a good chance they don't know. But they they know what's happening at the federal level um, in U.S. Congress. And that, I think, is a problem. Not to say that doesn't matter because it does. But politics is best when it's kept local and focus on the things that we have in common. And I think the economic development success we've had lately is in large part because of that. Because, look, I mean, the city of Greensboro, which, you know, the city council is nonpartisan, but they're they're registered Democrats, every single member, actually. The county commissioners have a Democrat majority, but we have a Republican General Assembly. And we but guess what? We've all worked together to facilitate these economic development projects. Why? Because we believe that we need jobs. We think that at the end of the day, if more people have access to a good paying job, there's going to be more upward mobility. So that that's a great success story. But guess what? That didn't happen in Washington, D.C. That happened right here in North Carolina. So I think we got to try to focus more local community-based. And again, you got to respect each other because that's, that's critical. Well said, well said. I appreciate that. You know, folks, I'm going to say one, uh, something about John, uh, the, the job he has, uh, how many hours do you think you put in on this job? <laughs> Goodness. I, so this, this is, that's a great question. And we, we joke about this or maybe lament about it because um, this is called a part-time job, quote unquote, part-time. Um, but it's, it's far from it. So when we're actually in session, I mean, it could be 50, 60 hours a week, <clears throat> excuse me, but out of session, probably I'd say 30 to 40 hours a week. It, you know, if you, if you, if you're immersed in it, you do it right. Um, yeah. it, it is a full-time, but I'm not complaining because I, you know, I'm honored to do it. Um, but it, it is kind of a, at some point, I think that the state of North Carolina has got to look at the, the pay structure. See, I, I'm self-employed. I work with my family. I have flexibility, but there's a lot of folks out there that don't have the flexibility that would allow them to serve because financially you don't make much money. So at some point we'd have to look at, 
you know, making this a full-time position so that, um, you know, most people, so more people could afford to do it. Yeah. And, you know, you ha- you pay your own expenses. They give you a stipend to go to Raleigh, your gas and a hotel, probably not very much money. Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, I think it's less than $40,000 a year that you, you folks get or in that range. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So basically our salary is just under 14,000 annually. 14, I don't think that's one, been one raised four? 1994. One. Wow. And then our per diem is when we're in session, it's $104 per day. Um, and then our, we get one round trip of gas per week that we're in session, you know, from our residents to the general assembly, but I think it's 29 cents a gallon and the federal rate is like, you know, 50 or 60 cents. So those numbers have not been adjusted since 1997. So the net result is you got a lot of retirees who serve, you've got people that are, you know, independently wealthy, or they have, you know, in my situation, like a flexibility type of um, position. So, you know, that's something at some point we have to try to address because it it's become a full-time job, which I enjoy it and I'm not complaining about it, but you know, I, I could point to a lot of my friends and I think you could too, who don't have the ability to just step away from their career and go serve in a general assembly. Yeah. And you said it was 14,014. Yeah. It just is just under $14,000. That's below poverty level. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you could literally make more money working, um, you know, in a fast food restaurant. Wow. Wow. Well, John, <laughs> we don't work for the money. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, John, we I know I'm, I'm going to speak for Odell, but we really enjoyed having you on the show. Uh, you've brought a lot of value to us. I think we'll have you back when we get into some hairy issues in the state. And maybe you can straighten us out and give us the uh, being in the room story. And uh, as Odell said, so John, I uh, look forward to seeing you at your fundraiser uh, tomorrow night. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. I, I appreciate your friendship, both of you and, and what you do. And uh, for this show that, that you've created, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, I, I'm a fan of both of you and uh, you know, maybe y'all should run for office one. Maybe I'll just step down <laughs> from my seat. Let one of y'all take it one of these days. You want to run the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll trade. Yeah, you, that'd be great. You, but thank you, you for think, what you're doing. If you think uh, legislate doesn't pay much, you got to try it on this side of the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah. But th- thanks a lot. And maybe uh, if you're up for it, I could come back on perhaps after the short session. Um, after Absolutely. We, you know, we vote on some of these issues that we talked about. We'll, um, you know, maybe do a recap. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you, John. All right. Thank you all. Have a good okay. one. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulating and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly.
your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.